Praise God. Man, I'm telling you what, it's an anointing like this that'll set you free. You just got to get in it and stay in it. You got to let the Lord touch you, minister to you. Praise God. Well, I want to minister to you some more tonight in word because I have a word here that, that I want to preach it because I want more revelation on it. Some of the Lord's speaking to me, but I mean, it's just it's something exciting to me. But uh, you got to be with it tonight, okay? Don't get, don't get lethargic on a Wednesday night and just kind of sit there and, and, and just get all, you know, ooey and miss this word because it's a good word. So get your Bibles out. Go to the Gospel of John chapter 1. I'm calling this the pathway of faith. And I want to show you something tonight. Now, you know, as pastoring all these years, there's, there's certain things I've seen about people. And uh, it's the reason why I love our freedom prayer ministry, because the freedom prayer ministry is all based upon you spending some time in the presence of the Lord, praying and agreeing with uh, some some train people that are there with you to help you so that then you can be who God called you to be. And a lot of times we get damaged in life because uh, most of the time, uh, you know, not most of the time, but a lot of the time people are raised by parents who don't really know how to, how to raise children. And, you know, like myself, I, we started, I started in the, in the child business raising children when I was 19. So what did I know? I was a kid myself. But, um, and I've always thought that once you're older and you have more wisdom, that's the time to raise kids, but then you don't have enough energy to do it, so you have to do it when you're young. So <laughs> I guess God knows what he's doing. So anyway, so then we get to be grandparents. <clears throat> but anyway, if you, if you were raised in a household or raised by parents that, that didn't really show you love and didn't demonstrate a, 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 a godliness to them, then it's easy to get off in your thinking whenever I say, <clears throat> or you hear anyone say, God is your father, because then you immediately relate that to an earthly father. <clears throat> and if you didn't have a good earthly father, then, uh, then that skews your imagery, because when you're worshiping God and you're walking with God and you're trying to, to, to understand him, you're going to always be pulling back into the resources of the files that are in your mind about earthly things. Hello? <clears throat> it's just like when you listen to Dr. Brown preach, you know, he preaches and, 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 you know, God bless him, great preacher, great teacher. And, but some of the examples and some of the things that God uses to speak to him, I, I'm not ever going to get that. Y'all, y'all with me? I've never been a fighter pilot. So how is God going to use anything that has to do with an airplane as an example to me? I don't understand it, right? Medical things. How could he ever explain and use medical things to me? Because I don't understand it, right? And so God's going to use in you what's in you. Hello? So if you've had a skewed relationship with a parent, then sometimes you get off on thinking about God. And I believe that a lot of Christians have made God the Father just like an earthly father. <clears throat> Fallible, moody, um, angry, can be happy, uh, maybe makes wrong decisions, maybe is too hard of a disciplinary, 
And so people come up with all these goofy ideas, okay? And you're never going to prove to me that God, my heavenly Father, is anything but good and perfect. And every decision he has for my life is going to be something that is to bring me joy and hope and make me better. He'll never prove to me any other way. You never prove to me, you know, God's going to take me out and break my leg so he can teach me a, a lesson. That ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It ain't my God. And when you get to heaven, you're going to find out you were wrong if you do believe that. <laughs> God bless you. So I want to go off on this still tonight about faith. <clears throat> John chapter 1, verse 19. The Jewish uh, Pharisees are kind of got John the Baptist cornered. And it says, now in the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now you have to understand something about John the Baptist's ministry. He's, you know, as a character in the Bible, he, he doesn't last that long before Herod beheads him, right? But in the time period, and I've read some stuff on this, and, you know, it's not in the Bible. And so whenever I get into these things, I always tell y'all, because I could be wrong, because I'm just having to go by studying stuff to, you know, history and historical documents, things like that, to try to figure these things out. But anyway, there's people who say that John the Baptist's ministry could have reached as many as 3 million people. And that his, he wasn't just like 50 people by the river. There was hundreds and even thousands of people coming to John the Baptist at this time. It was a great move of God, all right? So the, the Jews are getting kind of concerned about it, and the Pharisees are like, this dude's having some meetings out there, and they're, you know, they should have been in the temple, and why are all these people out there? And so they're wanting to check him out. So they go to John, and they say, well, who are you, Okay. And he confessed, he says, <clears throat> and did not deny, but confess, I'm not Christ. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the Messiah coming. I'm not the one that y'all are to be looking for. All right. And they ask him, well, then what are you? Are you Elijah? Because it had always been, for, it had always been uh, prophesied to the Old Testament that the spirit of Elijah or Elijah would return before the Christ came. So they said, well, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. And they said, are you a prophet? And he continues to know. And then they said to him, well, then who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist says, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He quoted Isaiah chapter 40. So now let's go look at it. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to show you this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 starts out and says, Comfort ye my people. But I want you to look at verse 3. Here's the scripture he quotes. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And look what he's saying. Look what he's saying here. You've got to get this down. Isaiah's prophesying. John said this is who he is. So John's job was to make a highway for our God, not for John the Baptist, not necessarily for Jesus. Jesus was the instrument that was going to go on the highway of God and do it, but he's saying, I'm making a pathway that God wants. And every mountain, no, every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. And the crooked paths made straight, and the rough places 
smooth, okay? So every valley is going to be exalted. Every mountain is going to be brought low. The crooked paths, all the curvy roads are going to start to be made straight, and all the rough bumps on the road are going to get smoothed out. In other words, it's going to be easy travel. Y'all see that? The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Now, I taught y'all this, I don't know how many weeks back, about whenever you find L-O-R-D, Lord, and it's all caps in there, it's talking about that's the name of God. All right? So he says, in the glory of Jehovah God shall be revealed. The glory of Jehovah God shall be revealed. Well, we know it was revealed in Jesus. Okay? Isaiah didn't exactly know how this is coming out when he's prophesying, but anyway. And all flesh shall see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right? So let's recap what he's saying. He says he's going to prepare a way. Everybody say he's going to prepare a way. Okay, he's going to prepare a way of the Lord. He's going to prepare a way that God wants. God's going to get his way. God's going to make a way that it's going to be a highway. It's going to be straight. It's going to be smooth. It's not going to be full of curves and twisting up over the mountains. This is what God's doing. And this is who John the Baptist said he was. All right. So I like it when the Bible interprets the Bible, because all I'm doing is preaching. All right. John says it. I have to believe it. All right. So Jesus shows up on the scene. John baptizes him. John declares he's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. He's the one right there. Now, you got to understand all this. If you were there at that time and you were a traditional Jewish person, it'd be very confusing for you because you've been taught by your parents all your life, all these do's and don'ts, these sacrifices you have to make, all these requirements, all these ordinances and all these things you had to keep in order to be even in right standing with God, but you knew you weren't really in right standing with God. Okay, I mean, you could go and just go to the temple and make your sacrifices. And at that moment, you're clean and walked outside and you weren't watching where you stepped and stepped on a dead lizard and you're unclean now. Right. So. Jesus comes and Jesus now is going to be making he's going to be walking on this way, this path, this straight path that's gotten all the crooked crooks out of it and all the rough places. Jesus is going to be walking because he's bringing in a new way, the new way of God. Y'all got this. John says, I'm I'm just the one coming before and declaring it, that God's making a way. Okay, so God was making a way through Jesus. All right? Y'all just keep on with me. You're saying, yeah, Pastor, we know this. Get to the point. I'll get there in just a minute. Just don't, don't pressure me. So everything Jesus did, because Jesus was, you know, I don't want to go into all the scriptures, but you know, Jesus was, you know, fulfilling all the prophecies. He was the son of God. He was God in man. Right? But Jesus still was on earth. And in this realm, this realm that we live in right now, Jesus was out here just like me and you. And even though he was God in man, he still had to perform and operate in all the things to be sinless, to go to the cross for you and I. Right? Okay. So Jesus had to operate in faith. 
Everything he did, he had to be by faith. They said, well, it was easy for him. Well, was it? Think about it. He still had to go through because he had all the, you know, the book of Hebrews tells us, different places tell us that he had all, had felt all of the emotions and infirmities that we feel. So that means when the Pharisees were talking smack, he felt anger, but he didn't sin in it. Right? He didn't say, I hope tonight when they're going home, they get eaten by a lion, trip and fall in a ditch. Right? But he did it by faith because he was fulfilling the pathway that God had arranged. He was walking on it so God could usher in this new era called the New Testament that man's sins could be forgiven by faith in Jesus. But he knew he was going to the cross. He's going down this path, but he did it by faith. The same faith operation that you and I have to live in and operate in every day. So when he went to the garden in like Mark 14, 35, when he went to the garden and was crying out to the Lord, he says, you know, Lord, if it's possible that this cup pass from me, he's sweating droplets of blood and all these things are going in. The pressure's on him. It, the pressure is to break his faith. Even though he's the God man, the pressure's starting to break his faith because he has to operate in faith in this realm called earth that we live in. So go to Hebrews chapter 12. Now, this is where I get going here. I had to lay that groundwork, get you on the same page with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostilities from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, for you've not yet resisted bloodshed striving against sin." Okay, I want to I go back over this piece by piece. He said that, that we have to run our race with endurance, but that if you go look up that word endurance, the, a better translation would have been, which it, it is close to endurance, is consistency. In other words, it's the steady forward motion. It's, it's enduring but yet it's being consistent day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. Because if you truly believe in something and you truly have faith in something, it's easy to continue to go forward in it. You may at sometimes be going faster and sometimes going slower, but you're still moving forward. Right? It's not I do believe in God. I don't believe in God. I do believe in God. I don't believe in God. I do believe in God. I don't believe in God. That's not consistency. Hello? <clears throat> so our race has to be run consistently, okay? Okay, look, it says, how are we going to do it? The only way to do it is look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Okay, author and finisher there could have been translated the, the or originator, the original, where it, where it came from, the author. 
right? I mean, if somebody wrote a book, they write a book and they say, oh, the author. Well, then you meet the author and, oh, yeah, I wrote this book, right? He originated it. Think of this now. And the finisher could, could be translated the completion of. But there's a little, there's a little, it's not a mistranslation, but there's a little something you need to notice in your Bible. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But if you look our, the word our, O-U-R, our, is italicized. That means when the King James, James translators were translating it and looking at the text and everything it was trying to say and what it was, that they, they inserted that word to try to make the sentence, the, the verse, complete. They didn't do it to try to throw people off. They did it to try to, in the, the, the spirit of the whole thing, because you know how it is. I mean, you go to translate Spanish to English, you can't, it's not exact, right? There's not an exact way to translate it. So they're translating this from Aramaic into Greek, and then the Greeks to English, and so they put our, but it's italicized. They noted it that it was italicized, okay? So what's interesting if you read that in the Young's literal translation, because it's a literal translation, it would read like this, looking to the author and perfecter of faith, Jesus. Not our faith, but he said, I created a pathway called faith. I walked it out on earth. The God-man came to earth, lived a sinless life, walked out this path of faith so that he could arrive at the cross so that he could die. By faith, he could, was trusting that he was going to be resurrected. Can you imagine? Listen, just think about this. If you've ever had something really good that brought you joy and then you thought that you could never get it again, you'd be disappointed. Now think about this. Jesus going to the cross, and his faith was enough, and he would be eternally separated from his father. What was Jesus? He wasn't gambling, because by faith he knew it was going to work out. But I'm just saying, what was, at, what, was on, what was at stake for Jesus? Eternal separation from God. One hand would be eternal separation from God. The other hand would be sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, becoming the author and the finisher of all of our faith so that we could uh, lead, he could lead millions to heaven, to have an open relationship with God, and the old covenant would be gone and a new covenant would be instituted, and by faith he did it. So that's why the writer of Hebrews says, man, you've not, you've not been stretched in your faith enough that you've actually shed blood. That's what he's talking about. You've not gone to the point to where you could lose everything. We're all trying to learn it. We're like, oh, God, I don't know. It's not too hard. I can't believe you. I don't know really how to believe you. I believe right now through all of this junk we're going on, God is trying to get us into a new level of faith, a new place. It's not, it's not some weird, mystical something or another, what he's trying to do is just get us to where we're just truly believing him. And when we start operating in what truly is faith, miracles will take place. God will do anything because we get in the same pathway that Jesus himself walked to the cross, to the resurrection, and to the throne of God. 
So the writer of Hebrews understands, he says, look, if you're going to get you're going to get discouraged in your life, if you don't say consistent and keep looking at what Jesus did, you're going to get discouraged. Because you're going to think, oh, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Why aren't things going right? How come, you know, everything isn't working out right? OK, let me keep going. So he says, I'm back to just the New King James translation. He says, Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. He's the perfecter of this road, this pathway called faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Now, consider him. Hello? You can always look at Jesus and say, he did it. He walked this pathway of faith, and if he did it, and he's up in there making heaven, in, in heaven making intercession for us. He's sitting at the right end of the throne, and he's encouraging us to come on, and he's doing everything he can for us, and he wants to set us into a good place. Then you know what? How could we lose? Now, <clears throat> I want you to look the chapter back, Hebrews eleven thirty-three. This verse, the first part of this verse, leapt off the page to me the other day. And I can't quit saying it. I find myself waking up at night and I'm saying it. Hebrews 11.33. It says, who through faith? Everybody say through faith. This pathway of faith I'm talking about. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. Worked righteousness. Obtained promises. And stopped the mouths of lions. And I keep saying over and over, who through faith subdued kingdoms, who through faith subdued kingdoms, who through faith subdued kingdoms. If you want to subdue kingdoms in your life, if the kingdom of darkness is trying to come upon your life, if the kingdom of doubt and unbelief is trying to come upon your life, if the kingdom of sickness is trying to come upon your life, the way you're going to subdue it is through this pathway of faith I'm talking about. There's no other way. It's through faith. That, sub, that is going to be sub, kingdoms are going to be subdued. Now, you got to understand something. Under the Old Testament, there was no pathway for righteousness. When you read all the Levitical law and you look at it, all God did was lay down before Moses. It wasn't just 10 commandments. It was over 3,000 covenants and ordinances that a person had to keep. And he laid it down in front of him and said, if you, if you could do this, you would be right with me. But he did it to show man that they couldn't do it. So then what did they do? They said, well, you know, we might could do this if we just tweak it a little bit here and tweak it a little bit there, adjust this over here and adjust that down there. You know, so then the, the Jewish people wrote the Talmud, which the Talmud, is, the Talmud is, in my words, the excuse for not being able to do what the covenant said. It was ways around things. And Jesus called the Pharisees on it. Man, boom, he got them. He said, man, what you're doing is wrong. He said, you say this and do that and whatever, you know, and you can go read all that. That's something else, another message. But we have a world right now today that is basically they're saying, <clears throat> okay, well, there's some good things in the Bible. And we would serve God. But then there's some things that I don't really like and I don't really want to agree with and I don't really want to do. So if God would be willing to change a few of those, or just the church I go to changes their doctrine so we can live in it and 
I can feel like I'm okay, then I might serve God. But otherwise, I don't want to take the whole gospel. I don't want to take it all. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But then, yeah, I want to go to heaven. And yeah, I do believe in being good. Oh, but the, and you get all these things like this because people just don't want to say, look, there's a pathway called faith and it's believing and trusting in God. And so I'm going to walk that pathway. And no matter what happens, I'm all yours, Lord. They don't want to do that. All right. Now, I want to go back to Hebrews 12. And I want to show you something. Look at verse five. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Now, right there, everybody just throws on the brakes. It's what? Chastening of the Lord. Well, that really means discipline. Now, I love my children. And when my children were young and I was training them and teaching them and, 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 and helping them in life to the best of my abilities, if, if they came to me and said, hey, you know, daddy, I want to whatever. I want a sucker. I said, well, you know, you, here, you can have a sucker. I want a cookie, whatever. I give it to them. They sit down and put supper out in front of us. And y'all need to eat your food. Well, I don't like this. Well, you need to try some. How many of y'all remember those days of the kitchen? Huh? You need to try it, whether you like it or not. Well, I knew it was good. I knew it'd be good for them. And I was trying to get them to, to, to eat it, right? And so I had to discipline them. Oh, I didn't beat them. I didn't scream at them. Didn't holler at them. Didn't throw food at them. Didn't pull them down and hold their mouth open and shove it in with a spoon. That would all be wrong. But I, I disciplined them. I may have even gotten stern with them, say, no, you need to eat all your vegetables. Because I knew it would be good for them, right? My, my discipline was for their betterment. But right now, uh, so many people are just like, well, I, God, he, he can't tell me what I can and can't do. I don't want to, you know, pff, what do you mean, God, chastening of the Lord? So then we develop these crazy doctrines of, you know, God's basically out to kill you every day, you know, and he's just beating you up and disciplining you and letting horrible things happen to you because he's going to teach you later when you come home crying. I don't teach my kids that. Now, when my kids wanted to say, Daddy, can I stick my finger in the light socket? You know, I said, no, what are you doing? Don't ever touch that. And I may have spanked him and said, don't, don't, don't touch it. That's a light socket. You leave that alone. Got stern with them, right? And why did I do it? Because I love them. I didn't want to see them get electrocuted. It was all out of love. And so, so, so many people today, so what I'm saying, don't have a concept of God loving them. So therefore, it's hard for them to relate in God ever saying no or don't do that or discipline them or talking to them. No, no, you're going down the wrong path. Stop. Because they're looking at it as, he's trying to tell me what to do, and I'm independent. I can do what I want to. And that's so wrong. Because it's all in love. That love is what was going to come out of this. Because if you don't believe God loves you, man, you need freedom prayer. I mean, that's all I can say. You need prayer because you're warped in your mind, in your thinking. You're not seeing things properly because you don't believe God loves you. I praise God. <clears throat> now, there's times I, I talk to my daddy and I say, you know, talk to my heavenly father. And I was like, okay, daddy, I don't really understand what things are going like they're going. You know, why can't things be a little more either obvious or a little more uh, easier to walk or. But how many of us, you know, just just a week ago, we were screaming about one hundred and two. <laughs> and now y'all are all looking for coats. 
right? Are we ever satisfied? But my point is, we're like, oh God, it's so hot. Is it ever going to change? Is it ever going to change? And then you know what? It changed. And it's just like that with God in life. You'd be walking your path and walking your path. And I said, God, is this ever going to change? Is this ever going to change? And then all of a sudden one morning, the northern blew in and it's different. Right? It just changed. Okay, let me get on here. I'm not going to get through. Seven, if you endure chasing, God deals with you as with sons. Again, it's with love. For what a son is, there whom... Let me see, I can't hardly read this thing. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. So if you're a son of God, God's going to try to teach you and, and, and do something with you, no matter what, because you're a son and he loves you. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed are a few days chastened as it seems best to them. But for our profit, we are we may be partakers of his holiness. So in other words, let me read on the next verse. Now, chastening seems to be joyful for the now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So in other words, you get to a place of training. My children, once they got to a place of training, I mean, they didn't want to stick their finger in a light socket anymore. Right? Those things are trained out of us. And, there's, and, and so this, this, this thinking that God's continually having to train you and beat you into submission, the only way that could be is if, if you are just absolutely not being trainable. Then you're going around the mountain continually. Then you keep walking through the same thing. Because we need to learn. We need to grow. We need to be trained by the things of God. Hello? Because he loves us. Because he wants us on this pathway of faith and looking into Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who originated and will perfect faith so that we can stay in faith with God. But if you think God's mad at you or God's treating you wrong, you're not in faith. So it goes on down here. He starts talking about the rest of, the, uh, of, of, of Hebrews 12, he goes on and talks some more about that. He talks about uh, uh, being, being uh, walking a straight path for your feet. But I want to look down at verse 18. He says, but you've not come to a mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, the blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the sound of the words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. He's talking about Moses at the mountain with Sinai when the God comes down and he's, and he's up there and says, don't let anybody touch it. Okay, can you imagine that? The people are saying, don't let us hear the words. <laughs> I mean, nobody except Joshua and Caleb are there like, wow. God is on the mountain, right? Everybody else has got their ears up and said, don't let us hear the words. What was their problem? Think about that. What was their problem inside of their wicked hearts that they did not want to hear the voice of God? Probably because he thought they were going to have to change. Goes on, 20. And it says, but you could not endure what was commanded, and if so much a beast such as a mountain, it shall be stoned and shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly af and afraid and trembling. Listen to this, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, 
the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. That, folks, is what's on your side. That it's right there with you is a great cloud of witnesses to be testifying that this pathway that Jesus opened up for us called faith to heaven to be right with God, that then this pathway, that's who's on your side cheering you on every day. Now, let me say this. What we forget about is the simplicity of faith. We make it too complicated. The simplicity of faith was that man could be made right with God through faith and belief in Jesus. He's the son of God. He died. He rose from the dead and his blood can wash away our sins. That simple faith is what got us saved, what we call being born again, right? Your spirit changed and then you're on the pathway of faith, but you're not like it's not like Pilgrim's Progress, like you're trying to make it up. Ah, you're actually right there in Mount Zion, in the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, right there, boom, bada, bing, there. Are you with me? In other words, the moment you get saved, the moment you make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, boom, you're in the, you're in the middle of the gym, general assembly of the firstborn. And all the yakking, 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 yakking that's coming that gets you distorted and twisted and turned around and, and not knowing which way you're going and gets you off and gets you saying, oh, what does it God do? So whatever. You're standing in the middle of the assembly of the firstborn. You're standing in the middle of Mount Zion. You're standing in a position in heaven because of what Jesus did in bringing about faith. He's the originator of it. And he's the perfecter of it, the pathway called faith. And all we have to do is just keep believing, just keep standing there saying, yeah, Lord, I know. I don't know what, what's going to go on or how things are going to work out. I don't know. But, man, I just know you got you're my best interest. You got my back, Lord. You're holding me by your strong right arm, Lord. You're going to take me through this thing. It's going to get better on the other side, Lord. I don't know. We may have to be walking through some fire. I may have to be walking through some stuff. But bless God, we're going to go on. And if you've gotten discouraged, he says, stop what you're doing. Look at Jesus. Realize what he's done. And then you will be lifted in your spirit to continue on. So you think about the next time you feel discouraged, what are you looking at? Are you looking at Jesus who's made a pathway called faith for us? Or have you just gone over there and listened to the devil? Have you gone and had some coffee with him and listened to his garbage that he's telling you? I know I have. I mean, this happens to me. I know I will. If I become discouraged or disgruntled or whatever, I'll stop and say, well, okay, wait, wait, wait. Who, who have I been drinking coffee with in the morning? Is it my heavenly father that loves me? Have I been sitting at the general assembly of the firstborn? Have I been listening to the innumerable multitude of angels and all the rejoicing in heaven and all the things that are going on? Or have I been listening to, you know, the voice of the enemy, the voice of doubt and unbelief? Have I gotten my eyes off Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith? And then you know what? I slap myself around, say, you know, I'm not having coffee with you anymore. 
I want to listen to you. <laughs> Your word's a whole lot better. And then everything just changes. Everything brightens up and everything goes on. Why? Because it's the pathway of faith. Amen? So just check your hearts, see where you're at, and then watch what God will do for you. Amen? So, glory to God. Stay in. Keep fighting. Keep swinging. Don't quit. All right, well, praise God. I want to pray over everybody. I want to pray over all of y'all out there watching, listening to the broadcast today. I want to pray over your finances and just continue to declare we are blessed people of God. Amen? So if anybody in here needs an offering envelope, get one, get your offerings out. And those of you at home, however you're giving, I thank you for it. I praise you for, praise you for, for giving and, and not giving up. And God loves you. We're still rescuing orphans, still rescuing kids. Had good conversations with Brother Ivan and Kendra while they were here and, and planning some, some neat things in Kenya. We just got to get all the airways cleared up. We got to get some things out of the way, and I'm ready to go over to Kenya and throw a big loop and do something. Thousand kids. That's what Brother Ivan wants to feed a day. That gets to be a lot. It's a big undertaking, but man, we serve a big God. Amen. So put your hand over your offerings. Let me pray over you. Father, I just declare right now in Jesus' name that we're going to walk the pathway of faith with you. I declare that we're not going to be doubters. We're not going to be like the waves tossed in the sea and flipped back and forth. But we're going to be men and women of faith because that's the pathway Jesus set out before us. That's the straight road you make. That's where you got all the crooked paths out of the way. You got all the bumps out of the road and you made a straight path forth. And so, Lord, we're going to walk that, the, the life of faith down this pathway. And so I declare that by faith, Lord, we declare finances are blessed. We are blessed people. Your hand is upon us, Lord. You're creating businesses. You're creating in the middle of all the chaos. You are blessing us because that's who you are. You're El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. So, Lord, I thank you for it. I praise you for it. Bless them. Bless their finances. And, Lord, we give you all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. God bless you, church.